This message comes from NPR sponsor Bank of America. We're all shopping for essentials online these days. With the Bank of America Cash Rewards Credit Card, you can choose to earn 3% cash back on online shopping essentials. Visit bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding. Copyright 2020 Bank of America Corporation. From NPR Music, it's All Songs Considered. I'm Robin Hilton. We're looking back at the past decade in music, the 2010s. It's uh, defining moments, artists, and trends. On this episode, Queer Goes Mainstream. I'm joined by Ann Powers in Nashville. Hey, Ann. Hello. And here in D.C., NPR Music's Serena Turos. Hi, Robin. And Marissa LaRusso. Hello. We're going to talk about a number of important moments that show how and why queer artists are more visible and audible than ever. Uh, But we start with the album Transgender Dysphoria Blues by the band Against Me. This is the title cut, so let's just listen to a little bit of it, and then we can talk about the moment that led up to this album coming out. This is the band Against Me. The album is Transgender Dysphoria Blues. It uh, came out in January of 2014. Uh, And before we talk about it, I just want to make one little disclaimer about our use of the word queer, because uh, if you're as old as I am, that word has not always been an acceptable uh, word to use. Yeah, I think for for my generation, we think that like LGBTQ is an important term, but maybe a bit clunky. So conversationally, um, queer is a word that my generation at least has uh, begun to reclaim. And yeah, it's worth noting that queer is a term that was used in academic circles for a long time and in queer studies departments and also in activist circles um, by groups like Queer Nation and, and others. So Marissa, let's talk about uh, the really big moment um, in the past decade that led up to this album, Transgender Dysphoria uh, Blues, coming out. It came out in January of 2014. What happened before then? Yeah, so in May of 2012, um, Rolling Stone published an article about the singer of Against Me, And in this article, the singer came out to the world as a transgender woman and told us her new name, Laura Jane Grace. And in the article, Laura Jane talks about kind of dealing with gender dysphoria for years and how she had finally decided it was time to undergo a gender transition and start living her life as a woman. Um, And you have to remember, like, this was years before Caitlyn Jenner came out, before shows like Orange is the New Black had out trans actors, before what Time magazine called the quote unquote transgender tipping point. Um, At the time, Laura Jane was probably like the most famous trans person in America. And to come out in the mainstream punk scene, which, you know, has not historically been super friendly to women or queer and trans people, it was a really incredible act of bravery, I think. Yeah, that was a real moment. 
And shortly after that, we had another major moment in visibility when Frank Ocean, the great R&B hip hop artist, posted a letter to Tumblr in which he talked about his own first love, which, uh, which was another man. This felt extremely revolutionary, partly because uh, the world in which Frank Ocean moved, you know, hip hop was historically very homophobic. And partly because I think Frank Ocean's music uh, defied categories, and here he was presenting himself as also defying categories in terms of his sexuality. It was a very um, new way to think about sexuality, not in terms of a fixed identity, but in terms of experiences, in terms of intimate connections. And, you know, this to me feels very much of this decade. And I love that at the very end of the letter, he says, I feel like a free man. If I listen closely, I can hear the sky falling too. And that's sort of what this moment felt like, you know, freedom, but also everything shifting and changing. And this was just ahead of him releasing the album Channel Orange that included this song uh, called Thinking About You. A tornado flew around my room before you came Excuse the mess it made, it usually doesn't rain In Southern California, much like Arizona My eyes don't shed tears, but body they When I'm thinking about you, who no, no, no I've been thinking about you, you no, no, no I've been thinking about you, do you think about me still? Do you, do you, or do you not? Yeah, I don't think it's our right as consumers to know the private lives of artists that we listen to, but it can't be overstated that Frank Ocean's letter really does contextualize this album and you really listen to this song in a completely different way, knowing it's about a man. He also had a song around that time called Forrest Gump in which he actually says, you run my mind, boy. We start to hear lyrics that openly describe love between two men, love between two women. And and this also feels new. As I said, we're going to look at a a handful of important moments that happened in the past decade around gender and identity and music, and we can't begin to cover all of them, but we're just going to go around the room here and share uh, some other important moments. Uh, Serena. Yeah, in February of 2011, um, the artist Lady Gaga, uh, fresh off of her her breakthrough album, The Fame, uh, releases Born This Way. And the theme of Born This Way is that gayness is not a choice. Um, And the video for this song was so striking to me as someone um, you know, at a formative age, and I had never really seen queerness and queer aesthetics uh, portrayed in the media yet. And so, this video is not playing to a straight audience, which I thought was radical. It's which because we kind of assume that a white male straight audience is the default audience, unfortunately, in our society. It doesn't matter if you love him or capital H I M M M M M. Just put your paws up. Cause you were born this way, baby. My mama told me when I was young, we're all on superstars. She pulled my hair, put my lipstick on, in a glass of her boudoir. There's nothing wrong with loving who you are, she said, cause he made you perfect, babe. 
One thing that I always find frustrating in the way we talk about Lady Gaga is how we name her, you know, straight ally number one. Um, in fact, a lot of people had problems with this song. People thought it ripped off Madonna's Express Yourself. People chafed against the way that she chose to empower the community by saying let's embrace being, you know, freaks or outsiders. People didn't like those terms. Um, Chola and Orient were not necessarily the labels uh, that people in those communities preferred, and she used those as part of the lyrics. Um, but I think notably the backlash came from voices of gay men, which just epitomizes to me how and where we are in this moment in 2011. Gaga herself came out as bisexual in 2009, even before she hit the big time. And yet her identity as part of the community is constantly erased, um, even today. In 2011, we weren't really ready to have those conversations about queer women. Um, and thus, femme women and bi or pansexual women were primarily considered allies. Um, but I think we'll come back to this topic later in the podcast. Yeah. And Born This Way, was that was in the spring uh, of 2011, in May of 2011. Um, Anne, let's go to you. Another important ally is Casey Musgraves, the country music star who, uh, like so many stars this, this decade, defies genre. In 2013, Casey released a song called Follow Your Arrow. It was co-written by Shane McAnally and Brandi Clark. Shane is a gay man. Brandi Clark is a lesbian. Casey is a heterosexual. Follow Your Arrow is an anthem about freedom of choice, about pride, about kissing boys or girls, <laughs> whichever you prefer. And within country music, this is really feels like a very bold statement. notoriously the most socially conservative music genre and here comes a new generation of uh, artists and songwriters who are saying hey you know tolerance freedom this is what we value and these are all american values i think that's the key about follow your arrow right it is a classic country anthem and you know the great thing uh connecting follow your arrow to npr music is that uh 
Casey performed this song at the tiny desk on the very day that the Supreme Court handed down its historic decision in 2015 declaring same-sex marriage legal in all 50 states. And I think we have to think about all of this music we're talking about in connection to the larger social movements of this past decade. And at the center of that is the fight for marriage equality. It's, It's all very intertwined. There are so many more important uh, artists and moments that uh, we could mention, way more than we could ever cover in a like, 30-minute podcast here. I want to talk more about why we're seeing this evolution, but first, there are so many other artists and moments that we could talk about. I feel like we should just mention some of them in a, a quick lightning round. Serena, why don't you go? Yeah, artists I want to give a shout-out to include uh, Torres, Gossip, St. Vincent, Julian Baker, Courtney Barnett, Tegan and Sarah, who went pop. It was fantastic. Um, and Brandy Carlisle. Um, I was also thinking about the hardcore bands Gloss and Heards who just put out these like really incredible, heavy, blistering, badass trans punk in the last decade. Um, I also think about the pop star Haley Kiyoko, also known as Lesbian Jesus. Key moments for me were uh, Azalea Banks releasing the single 212 in 2011 with its uh, voracious sexual message. Big Frida bringing the queer subculture of New Orleans bounce music to the national stage in the early 2010s. Perfume Genius performing their amazing Pride Anthem Queen on David Letterman in 2014. Antony, one of my favorite artists of all time, uh, sharing her spirit name, Anony, and uh, showing how non-binary identity works in uh, beautiful music. That happened around 2016. I could go on, Halsey becoming the most relatable bisexual pop star, according to some people, uh, with her song Bad at Love in in 2017. And of course, Brittany Howard. Yes! Yes. (laughs) She, uh, of the Alabama Shakes, her album, Jamie, I think, expresses uh, her identity in so many different ways, in fantastic ways. There are almost too many to mention, and that's actually fantastic, because in 2009, I don't know that we could say the same thing. No, I don't think so. I mean, major, major moves have happened in almost every genre, you know, and even in country, just to quickly go back there, uh, we had Shelley Wright coming out as the first openly gay woman mainstream country artist in 2010, and then Ty Herndon uh, coming out in 2014 unthinkable, I think, in previous decades, honestly. And for people uh, my age and Anne, uh, uh, you know, I think we can go back even further to a moment like when Katie Lang came out in 92. That was such a huge moment back in 1992. That conversation just was not happening uh, in the mainstream at all. And when I think of how few other artists were coming out at that time compared to now, it's kind of amazing. I'm so glad you brought us back to uh, the elders of this movement. Uh, so many still making great music today, whether it's uh, someone like Justin Vivian Bond repping for non-binary music and arts or uh, Amy Ray of the Indigo Girls. And the yeah. Indi- both Amy and Emily of the Indigo Girls who made great solo albums as well as working together this decade. And you've mentioned the major shifts that have been happening across genres. I want to talk about why uh, this shift has been happening, a shift in the conversation, sort of the collective consciousness. One of the things you have to talk about is how these voices have been more uh, audible. Well, Robin, Marissa, Serena, you all know I have a teenager. So uh, (laughs) a teenage daughter, a bisexual teenage daughter. I am a first-hand witness to how crucial social media is. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing, Anne, about social media. Like, I think about Frank Ocean 
posting his open letter on Tumblr and how Tumblr especially was a kind of network that just gave young people so much access to queer concepts and vocabulary in a way that felt pretty unprecedented. Like these ideas had existed in academic circles and activist circles, you know, ideas like the fact that a lot of people don't identify as either male or female or that there are other identities besides gay and straight. Um, but if you weren't in college, say, or you weren't in a place where that activism was reaching, you maybe just didn't have access to those messages. And with social media, all of a sudden, you could. And I think that helped a lot of people come to understand their own identities. And I think it helped a lot of straight society also understand what queer people are dealing with and what their lives are like. And this isn't just Tumblr or, or Twitter or Facebook. It's also YouTube, where I, I think of the artist Troy Sivan, who came out in a video that he put a, a very, very uh, heartfelt and, and honest and open uh, video that he posted. And he talked about coming out to his family and now he's coming out to his fans. It feels kind of weird to have to announce it like this on the internet, but um, I feel like a lot of you guys are like real genuine friends of mine and I share everything with the internet. I share every aspect of my life with the internet and um, whether or not that's a good thing, I don't know. But this is not something that I'm ashamed of, and it's not something that anyone should have to be ashamed of. So why not share it with all of you guys? I'm terrified. I know that some people are going to have a problem with this. I know that um, this could kind of change everything for me, um, but it shouldn't have to. And that's why I'm making this video, and that's why I think it's important that people make these kind of videos, because my aim on this channel is to make you guys smile and you guys laugh. And that's never going to change. I'm still going to make the same videos. I'm still the same Troy. Um, this is just some new information about Troy. And then when Troy Sivan is ready to take the international stage and really emerge as a pop star, he releases his second album, Bloom. And that title track from that album, I think, really captures the joy and pride that he embodies so beautifully. And uh, I love it. Take a trip into my garden I've got so much to show ya The fountains and the waters Are begging just to know ya And it's true, baby I've been saving this for you, baby I guess it's something like a funfair Put gas into the motor And boy, I'll meet you right there We'll ride the roller coaster Cause it's true, baby I've been saving this for you, baby. And again, this is the title cut to the album Bloom from Troy Sivan that came out uh, in August of uh, 2018. What are some of the other reasons we've been seeing this, this shift in visibility and audibility? Uh, one of them I think of has got to be how it's just gone mainstream. Yeah, at the same time that uh, queer narratives are beginning to be explored um, online in countercultural spaces um, like Tumblr, queer narratives also go mainstream um, on television. The TV show Glee was so important and instrumental in demonstrating to people gay experiences and characters on screen and those characters who who have agency to pursue romantic and, and sexual experiences. The touchstone from, from Glee, the series about an acapella group in Ohio, is um, the relationship called Clane between characters Kurt Hummel and Blaine Anderson. And the, the episode, specifically Never Been Kissed, that aired in November 2012, showed, at least for me, the, the first time I saw a pair of gay characters kiss on screen. And I think from that same episode, the, the character Kurt actually sings the, the Beatles song Blackbird to, to Blaine. And I think it's this really tender moment where we see, you know, the old canon of songs kind of recontextualized for, for a new generation. Blackbird singing in the dead of night. 
take these broken wings and learn to fly all your life. You were only waiting for this moment to arise. Blackbird. Yeah, it's really interesting because when the Beatles released Blackbird, uh, many fans felt that it was inspired by the civil rights movement of the 1960s that Paul McCartney was thinking about that liberation movement. And here in the 2010s, the latest wave in an ongoing civil rights movement is really cresting. And uh, the reclamation of Blackbird, or, or, you know, the the expansion of the meaning of Blackbird, uh, I see really deep connections there. It was a beautiful choice. And again, and for our generation, we had some moments like this, if you go back uh, to like the early 90s, but uh, not as many. I think of like the first film, I remember having an openly gay couple in it. it was Frankie and Johnny that came out in 91. And then not long after that, we had the film Philadelphia. And then soon after that, Will and Grace launched, which made uh, a lot of what's happened more recently possible. I think it's so important that a whole generation of people my age grew up with these ideas normalized for them. Yes, and, and it's really important that Klain was a <laughs> high school couple. One thing I really feel in this moment is this huge generational shift. And visibility in high school is something that really does feel characteristic of this time. So social media has given people a platform where they can communicate better and more openly with each other, and mainstreaming has made the conversation um, more open as well and with the generational shifts. But there have also been, in the past 10 years, really big legal changes that have, I think, opened all of this up as well. Oh, yes. The journey toward marriage equality is one of the most important American stories of the decade, and music has, has moved right along with it. And when I think of marriage equality, an early moment for me anyway was uh, I was traveling out in Seattle in 2012 and visited the station KEXP, and they played a song by an artist who was just known locally at the time, Macklemore, uh, and it was the song Same Love, and we they played it for a room full of people at a listening party, and everyone had tears in their eyes at the end of the song. When I was in the third grade, I thought that I was gay Cause I could draw, my uncle was and I kept my room straight I told my mom, tears rushing down my face She's like, Ben, you've loved girls since before pre-K Trippin' Yeah, I guess she had a point, didn't she? Bunch of stereotypes all in my head I remember doing the math, like, yeah I'm good at Little League A preconceived idea of what it all meant But those that like the same sex Have the characteristics The right-wing conservatives Think it's a decision And you can be cured with some treatment and religion Man-made rewiring of a predisposition Playing God Oh nah, here we go. America the brave, still fears what we don't know. And God loves all his children, it's somehow forgotten. But we paraphrase a book written 3,500 years ago. Bye-bye. I don't know. Bye-bye. And I can't change. Bye-bye. Even if I tried. Even if I wanted to. that some people feel Macklemore is a super uncool rapper, you know, white rapper, whatever. But he had a huge following in Seattle. 
there was a referendum coming up to uh, legalize same-sex marriage in the state. And Same Love became the official anthem of that movement. I want to take uh, stock of where we've landed with all of this after the past 10 years. But first, we need to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from American Mensa, the high IQ organization that offers intellectual stimulation and a place to socialize with smart people like yourself. Your high intelligence is the passport to compelling Mensa groups, events, and publications. If you think you may be eligible for membership, take Mensa's admission test or qualify using one of 200 other supervised tests that are accepted. Visit AmericanMensa.com join to take the next step today. It's All Songs Considered from NPR Music. I'm Robin Hilton. I'm here with Ann Powers, Serena Turos, and Marissa LaRusso. We're talking about queer liberation and popular music in the past decade. We've looked at uh, some important examples of, of how we've heard this evolution or revolution uh, and some of the reasons why it's been happening. But I'm wondering where we are now. Like, where have we we landed after the, the past 10 years. It's it's hard to say where we are now. I mean, the, the viral star Lil Nas X came out at the end of June 2019 of Pride Month, and you may know him for his ubiquitous uh, record-breaking hit, Old Town Road. And honestly, people just kind of shrug their shoulders. They're like, okay, cool. Lil yeah. Nas X is gay. Yeah, like, I felt the same way. Like, I guess nobody really cares. Like, okay, whatever. This <laughs> is not like this is breaking news, whereas, like, five years ago maybe even or ten certainly or ten years last year, or less Janelle yeah is still important yeah you compare it to even a year ago in April 2018 Janelle Monet in Rolling Stone famously came out um, as as pansexual um, and that was a big deal still even one year ago but I think the contrast stems from the fact that Lil Nas X is a new artist and so our expectations about how um, LGBTQ artists can exist in the mainstream is different than those of people that we've maybe grown up with or seen previous projects from and had this idea of who they are in in our minds. But so those people coming out is still kind of a radical move. And fascinatingly, Janelle Monae's song Queen from her 2013 album, The Electric Lady, is rumored to have previously been called queer. And if you listen closely in some of the vocals, you can still hear that they didn't really change the recording. I feel like as much as we've made really amazing progress on LGBT rights in this country, um, we still have quite a long way to go. And a lot of LGBT people in this country still are super vulnerable. For example, right now, um, you can still be fired for being trans in 26 states and for being gay in 17 states. Now, there are cases before the Supreme Court right now that are considering those questions. Is it legal to fire an employee for being trans or being gay? So maybe that won't still be the case in the near future. There are still 15 states in the U.S. where there are no laws that address hate crimes against LGBT people. And conversion therapy is only outlawed in 17 states. You can practice it in many others. Um, And of course, there's an epidemic of violence against black transgender women in this country. And I often think like this must that must be something that really weighs on mainstream queer musicians whether their identity means that they have to be activists for their communities, 
And if that's something that they even want, how to engage in activism in a way that actually feels meaningful. I mean, we live within music as a utopian realm so often. It, it is, a, is a safe space, <laughs> mm-hmm. to use that, that term, um, where we go sometimes to refuel. You know, back in the days of the height of the HIV AIDS epidemic, the dance floor was a haven for people who would then the next day go out in the streets and get arrested, you know, and, and participate in political funerals, dragging, literally dragging bodies through the streets to fight the lack of recognition of the epidemic. And, you know, music fed the soul of these activists. And so I don't think it's just a matter of being blithe or, or you know, overlooking what you're talking about, Marissa. It's so important to talk about that but to value music all the more because it gives us that gift of of imagining a better future and a better present. To me, there are still, as far as we've come, a, a lot of questions, too. And one I keep thinking about is, what does it even mean to be queer, especially when I have the context of that being a very derogatory term for most of my life? Yeah, I think there have long been debates about those very questions, Robin. For me, I try to remember that like mainstream acceptance of queer identity is a, is literally a matter of life and death for a lot of people. But then it's also worth questioning what we gain and what we lose when a countercultural identity, an identity that has the power to kind of shake up our entrenched ideas about identity, about relationships to each other, about our relationship to the state, what happens when that identity is co-opted by decidedly not countercultural forces? Yeah, one thing that sticks with me is um, last year I was working with World Cafe and Christine and the Queens visited us. And in her interview with Talia Schlanger, she says that she's worried about queerness just becoming a trend. Uh, she says, quote, queerness is a form of resistance to the norm and to a society that digests everything that could be profitable. And I think that we are in a moment where society understands that queer could be profitable. Yes, absolutely. And in previous decades, that tendency has been labeled gay chic, lesbian chic. Remember when the L word came out? Um, I remember in 1972, the critic Vincelletti writing about these issues when David Bowie presented himself as an androgynous, possibly bisexual rock star. You know, Vince wrote about, yeah, fine, but we still don't have any songs. At that point, about, you know, men actually having sex, at that point, androgyny was cool, being out and you know openly sexual as a queer person was not cool so there's always this cycle of co-optation appropriation acceptance rejection well you you mentioned like what's cool and that's what i've thought like when i listen to young people talk about gender and identity it feels to me like queer has become cool in a way that it certainly wasn't when I was uh, coming up. And if, and I always think, like, well, as soon as something becomes cool, then everybody wants to buy in somehow. And I think that's when you see things like the commodification of it, like, hey, we can do something with this. Yeah, it can be it, someone's marketing tool or someone's brand identity to align with queerness in a way that might be helpful to the you know queer community and might just make some money for a corporation. I definitely can tell you that at Hot Topic, where I've been for most of the past decade, (laughs) shopping with my teenager, the unicorn branded products now rival the uh, goth branded products. But I can also tell you that kids I know are getting bullied every single day. You know, it's still happening. So that's why, you know, people need to keep fighting, fighting for the dignity and pride of, of all kinds of people. I'm wondering what this all means for the music itself. Like, has the music that we're hearing changed because of visibility and audibility. 
I mean, one thing on a basic level is that electronic and dance music is so fundamental alongside hip hop in in pop today. And uh, what is the history and legacy of dance music in this country? It is queer life, you know. Disco music is the fundamental text from which so many people take today. I mean, don't you all think that's true? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think it's interesting that EDM had such a strong presence in in the popular music of the charts this decade uh, at the beginning, and it kind of fell out of fashion in favor of trap, but we've seen that EDM has transformed and that queer artists have really run with it and distorted it in really interesting ways that don't fit neatly into any genre anymore. Yeah, I think a huge theme of music in the last 10 years has been the way that genre is less and less relevant to the way that people listen. And I think, and what you were saying about identity becoming more fluid in general, that totally bears out in some of the more genre blending music that we hear in the 2010s. And nobody uh, embodies that more clearly, I think, than, than Sophie the Scottish record producer, singer, songwriter, DJ, who uh, first emerged as a force kind of in the early mid 2010s. And at that time, we we didn't really know anything about Sophie. (laughs) Who who is this artist Um, associated with a label called PC Music that was making very how do you describe it? I, I don't know. Help me, help me. How do we describe like, I think that's part of the deal. I don't even know yeah. how. I don't know how to describe this. <laughs> I, I, when I heard Sophie for the first time, I felt like I was hearing the future. But I remember when PC Music first emerged and people were very confused. Like, is this is this making fun of pop music? Is this pop music? Is it being made by a man making fun of women? Is because the voice and the tone was, you know, sometimes hyper feminine. Fast forward to 2017 when Sophie finally releases her first album and appears in videos for the first time. And Sophie is a trans woman. And what Sophie is doing with her voice, I think, is so fascinating because using uh, pitch shifters and other studio tools, she is really playing with um, the sound of the human voice and in a way that challenges our assumptions about gender. Yeah, I think Sophie's music is like a really powerful example of how there's not one way to express trans identity or gender in general. And that's part of what makes her music so fascinating to me. Let's go out on Sophie. This is uh, the song uh, Face Shopping from last year's Oil of Every Pearl's Uninsides. And even the name of the album <laughs> uh, conveys so much. Oil of Every Pearl's Uninsides. So let's go out on the song uh, Face Shopping. Thanks, everybody. Ann Powers. Thank you. And Serena. Thanks, Robin. Rissa. Thank you. And I'm Robin Hilton from NPR Music. It's All Songs Considered. Nice.